Hi friends, and welcome to the Wild Moon Podcast. I am so grateful to be with you today, and I am so excited to bring you this episode. Today, I'm going to be talking on the topic of mental health. I hope that you're going to enjoy this episode as much as I enjoyed putting it together for you. Let's get into it. The Uses of Sorrow by Mary Oliver Someone I loved once gave me a box full of darkness. It took me years to understand that this, too, was a gift. Hi friends, and welcome to the Wild Moon Podcast. Today's episode is going to be all about mental health. The reason why I decided to start this poem by reading The Uses of Sorrow is because it's one of my favorite poems by my favorite poet, Mary Oliver. I've been drawn to that poem all of my life. For a long time, I didn't know why I was so drawn to it. But as I've moved along my healing journey, I realized that the reason I'm so drawn to that poem is because it talks about darkness being a gift. And for me, darkness has always been my struggles with mental health. For most of my life, I only saw those struggles as darkness. But recently, as I've moved further and further along on my healing journey, I've discovered that those struggles with mental health have truly been a gift because they have shaped me into the woman who I have become and the woman who I continue to grow into. There's so many things in life that appear to be darkness and later we realize that they truly were a gift. And it is in healing, it is in reflection and understanding that we become able to recognize how darkness is a gift. So as I mentioned, today's episode is about mental health. Mental health is a topic that is so close to my heart that it almost doesn't make sense to say that it's close to my heart. It almost doesn't make sense to call it a topic at all because for me, it's just a part of who I am. It's a part of who I've always been. Mental health issues have been front and center in my life for my entire life, for as long as I can remember. 
Of course, when I was a child, I did not know that it was mental health. Back then, I simply thought that the words that were used to describe me by the adults in my life were accurate. I was called a worry, a worrier. I was called conscientious. I was called an old soul. I was called many things. And all of those words that were used to describe me, I believed. It was only later in my life when I came to understand that while all of the th- those things were true to a degree, it was really anxiety. I am an anxious person. From the time that I can remember, anxiety has been a constant companion. And whether I was born that way or whether the circumstances that I lived through conditioned me to become that way, it's not really relevant because we can spend a lot of time talking about nurture versus nature. What are we born with? What is in our DNA versus what are we exposed to that conditions us? And I will talk a little bit more about that. But one way or the other, I became anxious. And as a result, most of my childhood and my young adulthood was not always joyful. My anxiety caused me a tremendous amount of pain. I worried about everything and everyone. I carried the weight of the world on my shoulders and when things went wrong that had absolutely nothing to do with me, of course, because I was only a child, I usually blamed myself. And as it often does, eventually my anxiety manifested itself into depression. Because depression comes naturally when you're constantly worried. And in order to deal with the pain that I lived through on a daily basis, I developed addictions and unhealthy coping mechanisms. I became an emotional eater. I struggled with my weight all of my young life and I developed really debilitating thought patterns, negative, irrational belief systems about myself and about the world because I had no other way of dealing with the constant pain that I was living in. Eventually, when I was 15 years old, I became suicidal. My anxiety got so out of control that it took over. I couldn't even function anymore. And I had suffered, obviously, all through my life 
But then at age 15, there was the introduction of hormones and a major shift in social life at school. And I just succumbed to all of it. I wanted to end my life. And in desperation, I went to ask for help. And I did receive help. And I will tell that story one day. But for now, I'm going to abbreviate it and say that at my lowest point in that era, I went for help, I asked for help, and I received some degree of help. And that was when I was introduced to the mental health system for the first time. And I bounced around from therapist to therapist and psychiatrist to psychiatrist. And I was put on a number of different medications and introduced to a number of different therapists who tried various ways of helping me cope. And some of those things helped and some of those things did not help. But I ended up on medication from the time I was 15 years old until the time that I was 21. And in that time, medication helped me. And I'm very grateful that I was able to know enough to ask for help and that I was given help. I know that not everyone is so lucky. So there were a lot of ups and downs during that time period and I tried a lot of different things. But there was one thing that really changed everything and I can't say exactly when it happened or how old I was, but eventually I was introduced to one particular therapist who ultimately changed my life forever. I've called her my angel over the years, and I, to this day, at age 35, know that she was an angel in my life and she was the one who helped me to understand that I was not in fact crazy because that was what I always thought I thought that I was just crazy when the anxiety and the depression spiraled so out of control and I could no longer simply believe that I was just a worrier or an old soul, I thought there had to be something more because I had become debilitated. At times, it really felt like I was losing my mind because the anxiety was so intense that it would cause me to dissociate where it almost felt as if I left my body and I was hovering above myself, looking down. And there were other things, but all of those things combined 
had convinced me that I was simply crazy and that I would probably need to be institutionalized at best. And then one day I had this therapist, the one that I call my angel, and it was in a session and she said very plainly, no, you're not crazy. You are just anxious. And at that time, I really didn't know that anxiety could cause the physical symptoms that it had been causing me. So I didn't believe her at all. I thought she was minimizing the situation. And I almost thought that she was disrespecting me and patronizing me. But she proceeded to pull out a diagnostic manual, a mental health diagnostic manual, and she showed me a page about, I believe it was generalized anxiety disorder or potentially social anxiety disorder. But when I looked at that page and I looked at the list of symptoms, that included dissociation, a feeling of leaving the body, heart racing, a feeling like you're having a heart attack, sweating, inability to move, numbness, dizziness, all of those things that I had become so familiar with. When I read that on that paper, it was like I was blown backward into the wall. I was so shocked to realize that, yes, in fact, anxiety could cause those severe symptoms and I was not crazy I was simply anxious that was one of the defining moments of my life having the knowledge that what I was going through was not unique that Hundreds, thousands, millions of people go through the same experience. It was really eye-opening for me and it changed everything. I could write a book (laughs) on that one topic and that experience, but for now, I'm going to shift this conversation toward what happened next. So what happened next was I had understood that I had anxiety and I was able to put a label on it. And in some ways that felt limiting and frustrating that it was just that simple, but in other ways it gave me hope. And so I stuck with this therapist and gratefully she introduced me to something called cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT. Essentially, an entire school of psychological therapy wherein the therapist teaches you how to change the way that you think. And how powerful is it that when we change the way that we think, everything else changes. 
Now, at the time, I was young, and I was naive, and I was jaded, and so I was very hesitant to embrace this at all. It was like, what is this? What are you talking about? What is CBT? How can changing my thoughts change my entire life? You know, because I was pretty stuck in the belief that I was broken. But... I think I had gotten to such a point of desperation that I was willing to try anything. And so I did. I got on board with this CBT thing. And I decided that I was going to try her suggestions to start to change my life. So the crux of what CBT was for me and how it worked was that we are all thinking constantly. Eventually in life, if you pursue the path of enlightenment, you will get to a place where you're not constantly thinking. You will practice meditation, you will evolve, you will gain control over your mind, and you will be able to shut off your thoughts, which is a beautiful thing. In the absence of thoughts, when you are fully in your breath and in a place of truly conscious awareness you are living in enlightenment but it takes a long time to get there and most human beings do not get to that point human beings that have achieved that enlightenment are jesus christ buddha the Dalai Lama, who has come close, and so on and so forth. But most of us are not there. We are constantly being bombarded and plagued by thoughts. People find ways to shut those thoughts off. Addiction is one of the ways that we shut the thoughts off. We get high with drugs. We get numb with alcohol. We get lost in love or sex we get lost in food we find ways to just move ourselves out of those thoughts because they can become so overwhelming and so painful but one way or the other yes our natural state is thinking and thinking and thinking and in the case of anxious people the vast majority of the thoughts that the anxious person thinks have two things in common. Those thoughts are negative and irrational. They are negative. They are focused on negative aspects. And they are irrational, meaning they are not grounded in reality they are grounded in some place that is not true so i'm going to give you an example of a negative irrational thought here's one that i had all the time all the time throughout my childhood and young adulthood and this negative irrational thought was that because i was born I destroyed my family's life. And if I hadn't been born, everything would have somehow been better. It was all my fault. 
that is a negative irrational thought. And so in the process of CBT, cognitive behavior therapy, we learn to identify these negative irrational thoughts and then we work to transform them into positive rational thoughts. That's the difference between the anxious depressed mind and the healthy mind. The anxious depressed mind, all of the thoughts that are constantly running are mostly negative and irrational. The healthy mind, most of the thoughts are positive and rational. So if we take that thought that I just shared, that was negative and irrational, and we turn it into a positive, rational thought. So here, there's always so many ways that you can transform a thought from negative and irrational to positive and rational, but this is just one example. So we take that thought, and instead of saying, I ruined my family's life by being born, we say... I did not choose to be born. My parents made decisions that led to my birth of their own free will. And I am a beautiful, loving soul. I love my family dearly. And in my own way, I am a gift to my family and to the world. Now, you see the difference between a negative, irrational thought and a positive, rational thought. And so that's the crux of CBT for me. And I used very pointed methodologies that my therapist taught me to practice over and over and over transforming thoughts from negative irrational into positive rational and over the course of about six months I practiced this so much that eventually one day on what was one of the most beautiful days of my life the thoughts started transforming on their own I didn't even have to try I didn't have to use the practices that were taught to me because of the act of repetition, when you do something over and over and over, eventually it becomes second nature. And I remember clearly the first time that it happened on its own. And um, I used to get anxious in all types of weird scenarios, but I used to walk home from school every day. And it was, I was walking home from school one day on this wooded trail that I walked every day and I suddenly had this overwhelming feeling of anxiety and I was moving close to a panic attack which was not uncommon and I didn't even think about it but all of a sudden my mind transformed the thoughts and all of the negative irrational thoughts that were flooding my mind in that moment stopped and something positive and rational came into my mind, which was, Dina, you are safe. You are walking on a trail that you walk on every day, and soon you're going to be home. Nothing is wrong. You're safe. And that was the first time, I'll never forget it, it was the first time that 
I changed a thought and from there everything changed you know I say this all of the time and you guys hear me say it in my videos and you read it in my posts and so on but the path to healing is not linear just like the path toward mental health and mental wellness is not linear so even though it was years and years ago that I experienced that transformation it doesn't mean that I never struggled with mental health again after that because I absolutely did I tell people that mental health is like a war it's like a war that you will fight for your entire life and there are battles that you will face sometimes hourly sometimes daily sometimes weekly sometimes monthly they are big battles there are small battles and everything in between but it's about a constant vigilance and it's about having the tools in the toolbox so that when the battles arise you know how to and you are prepared to fight the battles for me at least at age 35 having been through everything that i have been through it doesn't end and i don't believe that it ever will i don't believe that i will one day wake up and not have to struggle to maintain my mental health i'm gonna get into some specifics in a little while here on this episode but things come up all the time and the circumstances change and as a result from day to day the struggle to maintain mental health and mental wellness changes and that's okay so the next thing that I want to talk about is really what I just mentioned which is the fact that while we are predisposed to some mental health conditions and while I do believe that many mental health conditions are biological and it does have to do with the chemistry of our brain and that's why medication does help because it uses science to restore balance when there are imbalances in our brain, in our hormones, and the way that our bodies function. I also believe that mental health and mental illness is simultaneously situational. So I believe that it's biological. I believe that there is a place for medication, a time and a place. But I also believe that in some instances, and in most instances, mental health is also situational, meaning that things happen that cause fractures to our mental stability. And sometimes they are massive things like trauma, like abuse, 
like the loss of a dear loved one. And sometimes there are minor things like a bad day, a car accident, a tough job or workplace situation. And, you know, these are either major or minor depending on the case, but these are situations that impact mental health. And they can trigger off anxiety and depression. And they can even cause us to develop thought patterns and habits that lead to long-term depression and anxiety. Because what we need to do in those situations to cope and to survive sometimes requires us to fall down into very unhealthy behavior just so that we can survive. I'm not going to get into narcissistic abuse in this episode today, but I have to mention the fact that those children who suffer narcissistic abuse from their caregivers are going to, for the rest of their lives, suffer from mental health challenges and repeat those patterns in their relationships over and over until they wake up. And that's just one example of a situational circumstance that impacts mental health for the rest of a person's life. So getting back on track, there are situations that affect mental health. And there are also triggers. And for me, my entire life, a major, major trigger for me has been lack of sleep. Unfortunately, I'm a very light sleeper. I don't sleep deeply. I've had many friends and even family members who can get four or five hours of sleep a night and they sleep so deeply that they wake up feeling refreshed and ready to go and it's so beautiful to witness. I am telling you, I am not an envious person. I don't believe that there's any value in envy, whatever it is that you see that someone else has that you want. I believe you should go and make it happen for yourself Envy is useless, but I am envious of those people who are deep, healthy sleepers and they wake up refreshed after not all that much sleep. For me, I'm a light sleeper. I need a whole lot of sleep, meaning at least seven hours to even feel good. And if I don't get that, that is a trigger for me. If I am exhausted, if I am tired, my brain is struggling to function and I am prone to bouts of extreme anxiety and depression just because I'm tired. So one of the things that we really need to do in order to combat these mental health issues and to be at our best is to identify what are the triggers. I've known people who have had other triggers. Uh, One of my very best friends was someone who the mental health issues that she dealt with were anger. 
And when she was hungry, she would get angry and she would lash out. And it, you know, people don't necessarily define anger as a mental illness, but surely getting into such a state where anger becomes an issue that it impacts your life and it impacts the people around you, that constitutes mental instability. And hunger can do that to a person, just like exhaustion can. And so really defining what it is that triggers you to move into a state of poor mental health for a long time or even a short time is a very very powerful way of learning how to keep harmony in your mind and in your life. Another huge thing that impacts our mental health is relationships. Now, everyone talks about how important it is to surround yourself with positive people who lift you up and want the best for you and push you to be your best. And it's become very trite to say, you know, be careful how you choose your friends and be careful how you choose your circle. But it's so far beyond that. It's absolutely critical. It's not just about creating a beautiful life of joy or success or happiness or love. It's about survival, especially for those of us who are empathic. Yes, I love you, all of my beautiful empaths. 99.9% of the Wild Moon tribe are empathic. We are empaths, and so it is imperative that our relationships are healthy relationships because we are so sensitive to energy that negative energy, abusive energy, harmful energy from individuals near or around us has the potential to destroy us. Now, I do talk a lot about learning how to observe rather than absorb because there are times when it is unavoidable that we have to deal with a toxic person. But we should not have to deal with a toxic person every single day of our lives. And the only way that we can avoid that scenario is by choosing to allow healthy relationships and not choosing to allow toxic relationships. Again, this is not always possible. It could be in the workplace. It could be a situation where a child has a toxic parent. There are circumstances where it cannot be helped. And... In that case, we have to be able to practice observing without absorbing if we are even at a place in our life where we're capable of doing that, if we are an adult. And so it's also important to practice grace and forgiveness because if we did encounter things as children that we could not escape from, 
there are lasting impacts from that. And that's where we have to practice grace and forgiveness and acceptance of what happened. And this is where I come back to the idea that the darkness too is a gift. Because for me, yes, I did suffer from very intense narcissistic abuse very early in my life. It was completely unintentional and unknowing on the part of the person who imparted it to me. That person was just doing their best. They didn't know any better. And I have had to move through my entire lifetime dealing with that and knowing that that pain eventually turned me into the person that I am now and has given me the light and the ability to help other people who are going through it. So had I not lived through it, I would not be here now. And so I am so grateful for it. I've really come full circle in my ability to accept what happened to me. And that's what I mean when I talk about grace, practicing grace and practicing forgiveness because it happened for a reason. And it's only when we get so far past it that we can really see with that level of clarity that it was necessary and in its own way it was beautiful and I'm so grateful to be in this place now so getting back to situational mental health issues yes relationships are critical and when we identify toxic relationships when we move into the level of awareness where we see the relationship as toxic that is when we need to take the steps to protect ourselves and often to move forward and move on because not only are we hurting ourselves at that point when we stay, but we are enabling the toxic individual to continue the toxic behaviors that is poisoning their own soul. So I said that I was in that type of a toxic relationship in my childhood. Again, I repeated it over and over again in my adulthood. But that's another story for another time. We, when we know better, then we do better. And that's where I am now, gratefully. And I hope that many of you are on the path to to that as well. So there's a few more things that I want to talk about in terms of mental health. And um, before I move into some of the questions that I received from you guys, on this issue that you wanted me to address in this episode, I just want to talk briefly. This is especially for women, but it applies to men, and we are all about gender fluidity here, so keeping a completely open mind. But the issue that I'm going to bring up here is hormones. So, this is something that I've only personally identified within the last year. And that is that once a month, I have a complete mental health breakdown that is a result of my hormones. And for all of my life, I seriously believe that my mental health just fluctuated. I couldn't identify a rhyme or a reason. I 
probably blamed it on situations, individuals, so on and so forth. But finally, in my 34th year of life, I started tracking my cycles, my menstrual cycles, using an app. And in doing so, in addition to tracking my cycles, the app allowed me to track my moods. And so I started doing that. And what I discovered after a short time was that three or four days before my period started every month, I had a complete mental health breakdown. Anxiety went through the roof. Depression went through the roof. All of my usual coping mechanisms that I would use to take control of my mental health really would do nothing for me during those time periods. And so um, I realized that it was simply where I was at in my cycle each month. And it was pretty crazy to understand that hormones have the power to impact our mental health in such an extreme way. And so month after month, I, you know, tracked this and eventually I saw the pattern and it was so liberating because for the first time in my life, when that would start to happen, I would simply look at the calendar and I would say, oh, hey, I'm not actually losing my mind right now. I'm feeling this way because my hormones are out of whack. And so, you know, it's not necessarily something that we can control and it's kind of, it's not a fun thing to go through, but having the knowledge that this is what's going on is freeing and it allows us to, number one, know that what we're going through is temporary it's hormonal and it will in fact stop and also that is understandable and whereas previously I would blame all sorts of people for making me feel bad or um, my anxiety would get so bad that sometimes I would become uh, almost delusional with my thoughts and I would become paranoid that was a very common theme Um, At that time, I would become paranoid that, you know, people were conspiring against me. I know this sounds extreme, but, you know, for someone who has suffered from anxiety and depression all my life and then on a regular basis feels that in a very intense way, nothing surprises me. And I think a lot of us feel these sorts of mental health issues regularly, but we're not always self-aware enough to even identify them or to slow down long enough to try and figure out why am I feeling this way and also what am I feeling and so sometimes it's difficult and we feel ashamed and it's certainly difficult to share so openly some of the inner workings of our minds but In doing so, once again, we move further along the path of healing, and it's a beautiful thing. And I'm so grateful for my tribe here that 
shares in this journey with me and constantly reminds me that I am not alone. It's the most beautiful thing. And for every one of you that writes to me to say thank you for the work that you are doing, I am equally in gratitude for you all for sharing with me on this journey. So I digress, but I did want to touch on hormones and the reality of what type of an impact they can have on us. And that's going to take me into some of your questions. And so one of the big things that I received, one of the big questions that I received from you guys on this topic of mental health is how can we take care of ourselves? How can we deal with the day-to-day stress of life as, and you fill in the blank, it could be as a mother, as a single mother, as a married mother, as a working mother, as a stay-at-home mother, as a woman, as a daughter, as a sister, as a friend, as a man, as a husband, as a father. There's just so many walks of life and we all face mental health challenges and we all are trying to work toward being the very best versions of ourselves. And so in all of that, you guys were asking me, how do I manage my life and still keep mental health as a priority and still take care of myself? And so really what I will say here is that it all comes down to self-love. You guys hear me talk about this all of the time, but self-love is the foundation on which all wellness, all evolution is built If we do not first have a solid foundation grounded in self-love, nothing else matters. Our career, our relationships, our dreams, our goals, our desires, our passions, our purpose, none of that can be built up. None of that can be successful if we are not first building that on a solid foundation of self-love where we love ourselves where we recognize and acknowledge our worth, our worthiness, and we build from there. It is not selfish to practice self-love. Practicing self-love is the single most selfless thing that you can do because it is only when you are existing in self-love, when you are acting as the best version of yourself that you can then serve others. If you are not taking care of yourself, you are trying to serve from an empty vessel and you have nothing to give anybody else. It took me a lifetime to learn this because I was an empath, I was a people pleaser, I wanted to give I felt selfish in taking care of myself. I felt selfish in loving myself. And as a result, I was sick. My entire life, I was sick. I was broken. 
I was anxious, I was depressed, I was unhealthy, I was overweight, I was physically and emotionally sick, and I had nothing to offer. At least not the best of myself. And then when I realized that self-care was critical, I moved into the best version of myself and I began being able to give true light and true love to other people. And so that is why I say that self-care is critical. Self-love is critical. And this comes in many forms, but the important areas to focus on are diet, what we put into our bodies is fuel, and you are choosing every day how you are going to fuel your body. Next is exercise. The way that we move our body, the way that we build flexibility and treat our body with love and build strength so that wellness is not only outside of us but it moves inside because inner wellness and outer wellness are connected and flexibility is everything and when I say exercise you all know that for me it is yoga but for you it can be whatever it is that you love find the movement that you love do not partake in exercise that you hate I used to force myself to do cardio and weights and I was so miserable. Not only was I miserable, but I never stuck with it. I was constantly yo-yo dieting and yo-yo exercising and never achieving long-term wellness because I was trying to do something that I hated. In addition to not obtaining success in that endeavor, I also ended up hurting myself. I I tore... um, something in my shoulder eight years ago that has still not repaired and will probably never repair on its own. So do not partake in exercise that you hate. Keep searching until you find something that you love. For me, it was yoga and finding vinyasa yoga has been one of the single most life-changing things that has ever happened to me because now I have an exercise that I love And it's so beautiful in so many ways. But again, that's a conversation for another day. Um, But moving along on the topic of self-love and self-care, we talked about diet. We talked about exercise. We have talked at length about relationships. But I want to add here setting boundaries and avoiding codependent relationships. When I tell you that codependency will destroy your mental health in ways that you cannot even begin to imagine. Please believe that. It will be a topic on future episodes, but codependency will destroy your mental health. So healthy relationships, clear boundaries, those are all things that are part of self-love and self-care. And then I'll add to that, like enriching experiences spending your time and energy creating a life of enrichment and wellness through whatever avenues 
you possibly can. That might mean essential oils. I love essential oils and aromatherapy. That might also mean supplements, finding the right supplements to supplement your diet, increase your wellness. The list is really endless, but you have to define for yourself what are the things that you need to be doing so that you are at optimum harmony and balance in your physical body, in your spiritual body, mentally, emotionally, all of the parts of you must be in harmony for you to access the wellness that you truly deserve. So in closing, I want to say that yes, I have suffered from severe depression and anxiety all of my life. It's gone up and down. It will always go up and down. But I have a beautiful toolkit, an arsenal, if you will, that I carry with me every day that helps me to win more battles than I lose. I used to lose more battles and I was definitely losing the war on mental health in my own life. But the tide has changed and my circumstance is very different today because I have a toolkit. I hope that I have shared some of those tools with you today. While I'm closing, I want to say that it really is possible to rewire yourself even after a lifetime of poor mental health. It is never too late. You can absolutely undo all of the faulty wiring in your brain by changing the way that you think, by relearning how to create healthy patterns, healthy thought processes in your mind that will change the entire paradigm of your life. It is so possible. I'm going to be offering a series of workshops in the coming 12 months. I'm working so hard to put these things together for you guys because you're asking for them and I want to give them to you. I want to give you all of the tools that I have so that you can change your life. And I don't have everything together yet, but I promise you that it is coming. Keep asking me, keep telling me what you need because that only presses me to feel further inspired and pushed to create for you what you all need because this is my calling as a healer. The most important thing that I've learned in this journey has been that most of the time we just have to let go. When I lived with anxiety and depression ruling my life, I was constantly living in a place of resistance. When I changed my life and when everything shifted for me, I moved from a place of constant resistance to a place of acceptance. When we live in acceptance of all that has passed, of all that is and of all that will be, that is freedom. That is mental wellness acceptance. So on that note, I'm going to read one more poem 
from my favorite poet, Mary Oliver. And this poem talks about letting go. This is my favorite poem of all time. I wanted to share it on this first full episode of this podcast because it means the world to me. I hope that you enjoyed this podcast. I hope that you will enjoy this poem. I look forward to receiving your feedback on this so that I can make future episodes even better. Thank you for listening to the Wild Moon Podcast. I'm going to close this episode with my favorite poem. In Blackwater Woods by Mary Oliver. Look, the trees are turning their own bodies into pillars of light, are giving off the rich fragrance of cinnamon and fulfillment. The long tapers of cattails are bursting and floating away over the blue shoulders of the ponds, and every pond, no matter what its name is, is nameless now. Every year, everything I have ever learned in my lifetime leads back to this. The fires and the black river of loss, whose other side is salvation, whose meaning none of us will ever know. To live in this world, you must be able to do three things. To love what is mortal. To hold it against your bones, knowing your own life depends on it. And when the time comes to let it go. To let it go. Hi again, friends. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Wild Moon Podcast. It was such a joy and a pleasure to record this for you, and I'm so grateful for your presence and your listening. I would love to know what you think, so please follow me on Instagram. My name there is at wild.moon. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love your feedback. And let me know what you want to hear on future episodes of this podcast. Thank you again. Have a beautiful and blessed day.